That is a very popular Christmas carol, but in actuality, it's a, it's a hymn. It's based on a psalm, and truly it celebrates the second coming of Jesus rather than his first at the babe in a manger. This carol, this song, this hymn, Joy to the World, is a result of a collaboration of at least three people and even the Word of God for lyrics and music. Some verses reflect Psalm 98 and others reflect Genesis 3. Without going into a lot of detail or all kinds of history lesson, again, there were at least three people who brought this song and the result is a favorite Christmas carol that we sing based on an Old Testament psalm set to musical fragments composed in England and placed together across the Atlantic in the United States. However we got it, whoever contributed, wherever it came from, I like the words, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. I know the past couple Wednesday nights, for those who have been here, I've been looking at different things from the Christmas story, so let me look at this yet again from maybe another angle. Let me, the best I can, just talk briefly about the culture or the times in which Jesus was born. Much of it is based on historical writings and maybe even someone's popular imagination or their opinion. So I apologize if you think anything's in error. I wasn't there, nor were you, so we have to go off what people say. But I think there are a few points that we can agree with. This trek that Joseph and Mary took back to Bethlehem was not voluntary. She was near the end of her pregnancy. That's when your doctor, ladies, will tell you, do not travel. And that's when she had to travel. That alone kind of shows this was not a free country they were a part of. They did not choose. And then the reason they went ultimately was for tax purposes. Far away in Rome, Caesar Augustus had demanded a census for all of the lands he had conquered, and this is how he was going to determine how much taxes he was going to get and how he was efficiently going to collect those taxes. It was an extremely oppressive society, heavily taxed by the local government and even by faraway rulers. Some historians believe they paid 50 to 60% at least in taxes. And then even where their taxes were useful was unfair and ridiculous. In America, I know we complain a lot and we don't like taxes all that well, but some of them do go so that we have roads to drive on and libraries and museums and teachers and military and some first responders and to help the less fortunate of our society. So we benefit from conveniences and protection and from education We do all in some way benefit from taxes being paid, but not Mary and Joseph. Not under that kind of Roman control. Those taxes were simply used to boost the wealthy, the rulers. The peasants, if we could say that, at this time lived in an atmosphere of upheaval and social discontent. Herod the Great was king and ruled Judea, Samaria, and Galilee as a police state. He was, Herod was known as kind of a client king. Maybe we could call him a puppet king 
who had been appointed by Rome over this huge area, this huge kingdom of Jews. And he was to keep those people in line and keep them settled down and do what Rome says to do. Douglas Oakman, a religion professor at Pacific Lutheran University, says it's clear that Herod was brutal. Jesus was born into essentially a third world context under a military dictatorship. It was a society where where everyone was coerced. You didn't have freedom. You did what someone else told you to do. And if you didn't, the consequences often were death. It was a far cry from what the kingdom used to look like under the rule of David or Solomon. Under their rule, there was safety and freedom and plenty and peace and the blessings and favor of God. Maybe that even made it worse because they knew their history. They knew what it used to be like. Now there's devastation and fear and poverty and hunger and coercion. What do we say? But that it was a terrible and scary place to live. Some would suggest about 10% of the population was born into nobility and lived lavishly. And the other remaining 90% worked the fields around Nazareth, growing grapes and olives and grain. In Bethlehem, where it was drier, they would raise sheep and goats. The people raised one bag for themselves and one bag for Caesar. A biblical scholar named John Dominic Crossan said, I think it's safe to say that by our standards, injustice was built into that system. 10% at the top ruled virtually everything. While the rich prospered, the peasants suffered. And their hatred for Herod and the Romans grew. What they had was Herod, a horrible ruthless murderer ruling over them and them also being so taxed it was almost impossible to to live but but if you didn't have to uh, to, to to pay those taxes oh they're going to get it from you somehow you had to pay taxes or choose to eat it didn't matter don't eat pay your taxes there'd be no way for us as free americans to really comprehend this we can have knowledge about it and even things in our own history. But to truly say, this is our life. This is what it feels like to live in those conditions. Another country completely ruling our lives and dictating where and what we can do and how we can do it. It's, it's impossible really for us to even, because it it's a whole feeling, a whole atmosphere around you. The words like hopeless, darkness, imprisoned, helpless, depressive, sadness are just some of the words I thought of to describe the atmosphere at this time. So as best you can, try to squeeze into that atmosphere and that society, that dreary, hopeless situation that they were in and hear this. Luke 2, start at verse 6. And it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
They were in the same country, shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The angel said, I have some good news to share with you. It's going to bring you joy. It's going to delight your hearts, and not just you. It is good news that's going to bring joy to everybody. That's some kind of news. Is the news you just won the publisher's clearinghouse sweepstakes? What kind of news would bring joy just hearing the news? Was the news the angel said, you remember in the Old Testament where I wiped, where an angel wiped out 185,000 enemies in one night? Well, your problems are over. Caesar's gone, Herod's gone, the army's gone, you're all free. Was that the news? The angel all amped up on heavenly caffeine said, Whoa, do I have some news for everybody here? And it's going to delight you and bring you joy. You ready for it? A baby. A lady had a baby. Okay. That's good news. That's exciting. That's a tremendous blessing. But if a person's not directly connected, you may be happy. But I, can I tell you that while we have sat here in this service, there have been hundreds of babies born. I'm glad the family's delighted. But... This angel's not just announcing a baby was born. This angel was announcing a Savior. Christ the Lord has been born. This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the master. This is the one supreme in authority. This is Emmanuel, God with us. This is all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is the one that was prophesied about. This is the answer to your prayers. Okay, that's very good news, and that does indeed delight your heart if you think about it. A Savior has been born. You have to understand the best we can, the very dark and bleak and terrible condition the world was in. It again was hopeless. They were helpless. The peasants were not powerful enough to do anything about their conditions. They were oppressed. They were mistreated. They were in bondage in so many ways. Even then, this news, just the news Jesus had been born could delight and bring joy to their life. Jesus was just a miracle from a baby from the human perspective. He had not performed one miracle yet. He had not done and gone to the cross as the ultimate sacrifice, but just the news that he had been born, the angel said, was the news that could bring joy and gladness to your heart. Joy to the world the Lord is come just the news that he's a way maker can bring joy to your life 
Just the news that he's a soul saver can bring joy to your spleen. Just the news that he's a healer, a deliverer, a provider, a help, a strength. Just the news that Jesus can get you out of your circumstance that you're in. That should lift us up and bring hope and joy to our hearts. Let me quickly go back in Israel's history to the time of Nehemiah. It was when Jerusalem was absolutely in shambles. It had been destroyed by enemies and many people carried off into captivity. And, but Nehemiah went back to that, to that just heap of rubble and he rallied the people that were there and they miraculously built those walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. Even in the face of severe opposition and setbacks and many, many obstacles. These rebuilt walls may not have been as high or as thick or as impressive as they once were and probably couldn't compare to maybe some of the neighboring cities around them, but now it was time to be rebuild those walls, and that's what they did. Now the walls stood, but now it was time to rebuild the people. They needed to change. So they didn't end up defeated and destroyed over and over and over again. They weren't doing the will of God and living how their lives in a way that was pleasing and right. Ezra the priest read the book of the law to the people there in Jerusalem. They, they got convicted of their ignorance of the ways of God and they got convicted about their disobedience to the word of God and all the people started weeping. They started praying. They started repenting. They started wailing. Their hearts were so heavy. They were downcast. They were so sorrowful. And that was important. That was the right step. They needed to repent. They needed to turn back towards God. They needed to do that. But since this powerful revival of repentance and turning back to God had taken place, God did not want his people to remain dejected. God had not rejected them. He was in the process of restoring them, so he wanted them to understand that. If we flip to Nehemiah 8, verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tereshatha, you say that one, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, because all the people were weeping, when they had heard the words of the law. Verse 10. Then he said unto them, Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our God. Neither be ye sorrowful. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, when the people understood how they had disobeyed and neglected the Lord and they were sad, however, in their repentance, God wanted them to rejoice, not grovel in guilt. They came to understand God's word and the fact that he was indeed forgiving them. God wanted them to rejoice and their strength was renewed as they went from mourning to rejoicing because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy is a tremendous source of strength. If a person is down or downcast or discouraged, depressed and blue and sad, 
just about any obstacle or hardship is enough to just wipe them off their feet, incapacitate them. Proverbs 17, says, a merry heart, a joyful heart, doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dryeth the bones. A joyful heart, the core of your being, it is joyful, it is merry, it is glad, it brings literal healing to your body, but a stricken or a wounded spirit, that withers your strength. That depletes your uh, tenacity. It drains you from being strong. Yeah, but my circumstances. Yeah, but my sickness. Yeah, but the condition, but the joy of the Lord is where our strength comes from. <laughs> okay, let me, let me get a little, watch this word. Let me get a little counselory on you. Do you like that one? Emotional energy is extremely powerful. That's why when coaches call their team to the side, they're not, you bunch of jerks. You are useless. No wonder we're losing because you guys are losers. Get out there and do something, whatever. I'm going, to, I'm going to get to McDonald's. No. That coach would be looking for a new job within moments. No, that coach, what do they do? They bring them over and we talk about it. They give them motivational speeches. Oh, you look at you handsome dudes. Get out there. Ah! And they're humped up. And they go out there crazed in their mind. A person who is up will accomplish far more than a person who is down. Joy provides strength, an inner strength, a strongness, a steadfastness. There can be a person suffering from a physical ailment or pain, but who is filled with joy, that person will fare much better in that element and than a person who is discouraged with the same condition. Can I say this? It's better to have joy in suffering than despair in ease and luxury. Because to me, that is suffering in and of itself. There is something powerful about having joy. Let me dig on here for just a moment, okay? Joy is available in a variety of places. A person can receive joy from other individuals and from circumstances. Don't tell me, parents, the first time you saw that baby, you were not filled with joy. Don't tell me when someone speaks life into you, your spirit is not lifted and you feel joy. But maybe I can say there is a huge difference between the joy that's provided by people and circumstances and the joy that comes from the Lord. The joy from the Lord is constant. It's available. It lasts. It's not based on anything around us. I know I'm going to spoil your Christmas. People will fail you. Circumstances will change. And a person who is linked, their joy and their strength is linked to sources and circumstances are inevitably inconsistent. 
Because that person will ride the roller coaster of ups and downs, alternating joy and sadness, encouragement and discouragement, happy and sad, energized and depressed, because your joy is only based on people and circumstances. The time when Jesus was born was horrible. The conditions were terrible. There was nothing to be happy about, let alone joyful. But the angel said, something happened that is going to change everything. The Messiah has been born. When you and when I come to realize how much God has done for us and what great things he has in store for us, I can't help but be joyful about it. The joy will produce strength in me. As we focus on God's presence and promises and our joy and our strength will increase. As we focus on fallible or fickle people and uncertain circumstances, our joy will decrease and our strength will also decrease. Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. And because of that, my heart leaps for joy with a song and I praise him I know things happen that aren't fair I know people die and it brings sadness I know the condition of this world seems to be anti-God in every way I know sin seems to abound and grow by leaps and bounds I know the consequences of sin are devastating. I know people make bad choices and hurt others in the wake of that. I know there is war. I know there is famine. I know there is disease. I'm not trying to tell us to pretend it's not there because I think we're called to be change agents and we need to do what we can about those things. But all of that stuff can be very heavy and burdensome in every situation in our life that can wither our strength And when that happens, we can't do anything about it because we wallow in despair, in helplessness, in sadness, in hopelessness. But maybe this morning we can lift our eyes above all of that. And I like this verse in Matthew 2.10, talking about the Magi. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. They hadn't seen Jesus yet. They did not know. They, they just knew something powerful and wonderful was, leading, was going to happen when they got there. They lifted up their eyes and they saw the light that was leading them to Jesus. That reminds me of 1 Peter 1.8. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, what can you do? You can rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, I've not seen Jesus yet, but I'm still believing he's there. And in just the knowledge of that, we can rejoice. We can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Just the knowledge that someday I'm going to see him face to face can bring me joy. Knowing that this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. That in itself can bring me joy. Even the psalmist in Psalm 1611, thou wilt show me the path of life. 
in your presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Being in his presence, meditating on the goodness of God, remembering his promises, that brings such joy. I ask you this morning, where are you looking? What are you focusing on? What are you putting your trust and hope in? I'm asking you on this Christmas Eve, look up and see the light. See the hope. See the promise. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. One more run at this. Habakkuk 3, verse 17. Watch these circumstances. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, that's a bad thing. Neither shall fruit be on the vines. That's a really bad thing. The labor of the olive oil shall, the olive shall fail. And the field shall kneel no meat. Folks, this is from bad to worse. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. This is a very, very bleak picture. That is a very sad description of all is lost. But don't stop reading. Yet, I will rejoice, not in money in the bank, not in fruit on the vine, not in everybody. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. 19, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hinds feet and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. The circumstances are the crops have failed. I've lost my job. There's no money coming in. It's a dire situation. Oh, I know life is hard sometimes. It may not be easy. Others may not understand it completely, but Habakkuk says, I have made up my mind that I'm not going to look at circumstances around me because I'm going to lift up my eyes to the hills which cometh my help because the joy of the Lord is my strength. John said in the book he wrote in one of the epistles he was writing down things about Jesus and telling the good news of Jesus and explaining wonderful things to the church. And let me read in John 15, 11, John says, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain and that your joy might be full. He repeats this in 1 John 1, 4, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Just hearing the good news, just seeing that there is hope in a dark world, just hearing that a Savior is born can bring joy to your hearts and to your lives. Come back full circle. Luke 2.10. The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. That angel declared that in the worst of circumstances. Let me tell you this morning, the circumstances you face personally may be dark, may be bleak, may be scary, may be bad, may be difficult. Sin may have rendered you helpless and hopeless and powerless and mistreated you and oppressed you. My simple message 
like the Magi. Lift up your eyes and see the star. See the hope. See the promise. There may be some rough days ahead. There may be some travel you got to do and some, some long miles to travel. But I promise you, if you see the star and you know what, and you know what that all represents, Jesus has come. It can bring hope to you. So whether the hymn or whether the carol and whether it's about the second birth or the second coming or Jesus' birth, I'll use it for both, but let me tell you, I'll use it for your circumstance here in 2023. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Can you stand to your feet and thank him that he has come? Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, we're not in this world all by ourselves, but you are here and near to us. Thank you, Lord, that you have gone to prepare us a place that someday we'll be with you, Lord. But while we're here, we're thankful that you'll not leave us comfortless. You said you'll come to us. Thank you, Lord, for taking our place on Calvary, making a way of escape. Thank you, Lord, that on that cross you, you, you took our guilt, our shame. By your very stripes were healed, oh God. You have offered so many things. And so we can say, truly say, joy to the world. Out on that dark, lonely field, when that angel appeared to those shepherds, there was a great light that surrounded them. The angel spoke good news of great joy. When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. We're going to light our candles on this candlelight service. But while we're doing this, I want you to remember, no matter your circumstance, no matter the condition of this world, how difficult this season is, or how dark the night gets, you can lift up your head and see the light, see the promise that he has come. With that truth in mind, let's end this together as a congregation, as a family together here, worshiping him. Oh, come let us